This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Glenn Beck, The Blaze Radio Network. The founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger. The first step would thus be to control the intake and output of morons, mental defectives, and epileptics. The second step would be to take an inventory of the secondary groups such as illiterates, hoppers, unemployables, criminals, prostitutes, dope ends. Classify them in special departments under government, medical, protection, and segregate. Margaret Sanger believed in a policy of race improvement, once saying that it was necessary to, quote, create a race of thoroughbreds, end quote. This is known as the thoroughbred theory, which Donald Trump and his family ascribe to. In 1926, she even saw fit to present her views before a women's chapter of the Ku Klux Klan, which led to a dozen invitations to speak to similar groups. How does an American woman arrive at this kind of thinking? November 1892. Margaret was just a little girl. There was a tragic accident at her home while her father was away one night. On a cold winter night, two vagrants rapped on the door of the house where Margaret Sanger resided with her family. The two men stamped their feet to keep warm, and as the door opened, the warmth of a coal fire stove poured out over them. At first, the matronly woman in her early 40s stepped back to allow the visitors inside. But after scrutinizing the men, she had second thoughts and quickly moved to block their entry. There is an instant of silence cut only by the splash of sleet on the stepping stones outside. Behind the woman, the curious eyes of several children on the steps probe silently. Is the boss in? One of the men asks. No, but I'm looking for him any minute. We want something to eat. Not wavering in her command of the threshold, the woman stood for a moment longer, considering but silent. She's accustomed to these types of visitors, tramps and vagabonds, the knights of the open road who traveled between New York City and the odd jobs in the country. Over the years, hundreds of men and dozens of children have found sanctuary in their house with free access to food, milk, warm beds, as well as glasses of whiskey, always favored by their host. Margaret's mother, Anne, has always borne it patiently, quietly in the wisdom that, despite having 11 children of their own, the Christian upbringing of her husband, which has evolved into open adoption of socialism in the waves of reform sweeping the eastern seaboard, simply wouldn't allow him to turn away the needy. They are living, breathing adherents of the social gospel, Jesus, they believe, has commanded them to share their property, and that includes their home on a cold night like this. Were her husband there and not out of town on business, Anne knows he would admonish her for having second thoughts about inviting them in with a smile. But every instinct in her tells her to turn these men away. Sensing the hesitation and without further ceremony, the men push by Anne into the house heading towards the kitchen. 
On the stairs, one of the family dogs starts to bark, and Margaret, the eldest of the children, strains to hold the hound back from its protective instinct. Leaving the door open, Anne bristles and moves defensively toward the foot of the stairs, declaring crossly, How dare you come into this house? Ignoring her, the men begin searching for food. One throws open his cupboards, while the other stuffs rolls into his pockets of his trench coat. On a small desk near the stairs, Anne notices her husband's tools, a hammer and chisel. She looks up at little Margaret on the steps, takes a deep breath, and turns back to the men. Toss, beauty, she shouts, beckoning the two dogs to come to her side. Hearing the fear in her voice, the dogs bark and snarl, leaping down the steps, lunging past the children and onto the backs of the men ransacking the cupboards. Anne turns towards the stairs with a stern, desperate message. Margaret, keep the children there, no matter what happens. The children watch their mother charge forward to chase the men away. The dogs snarl and bite. The men throw punches and food and utensils to fend them off. Anne swings the hammer at one of them, landing a blow on his cheek, only to have him smash her across the face with the back of his clenched fist. She falls hard to the floor, just as the other man lands a kick in her side. The children cry out from the stairs, No, mother! While one of the dogs is felled with a blow from the hammer that Anne dropped. The other retreated into the corner and barks and growls as the men grab what food they can and scamper out the door. For an instant, after they leave, it's impossibly silent. Snow and sleet splash in through the open door and onto the floor, mixing with splatters of blood and milk that spilled during the fracas. On the stairs, the children sob quietly. Following orders, Margaret comforts them, but doesn't allow any to venture down, even to see if their mother is still alive. Time passes. The lone candle burns down and dies out. As he approaches the home, Michael, Margaret's father, notices there are no lights in the windows. He sees the front door hanging open and immediately senses something is very wrong. He runs and lunges through the door, slipping to the floor in his haste. On his knees, he crawls to his wife, who's lying now in a pool of blood. Her breathing is raspy. Her body is cold to the touch. But she is alive. Margaret, he yells towards the stairs. His daughter leaves her post at the top of the landing and crouches next to him. She fetches a wet cloth from the sink, and they begin to clean Anne's wounds. Michael shakes his wife lightly, trying to wake her. Get whiskey, he instructs his daughter. She obeys and brings the bottle from a drawer in his desk. Margaret Sanger's mother would never quite be the same after this attack. And being sickly from then on, she would die just a few short years later. Traumatic events like this are, of course, no excuse for advocating the elimination of entire races, But it does, perhaps, give us some insight into how the deranged thinking of Margaret Sanger began. Sanger also believed that families with too many children, remember she was one of 11 kids, posed an unnecessary hardship on the rest of society. Quote, The most merciful thing that the large family does to one of its members, she wrote in 1920, is to kill it. End quote. It's worth noting that Planned Parenthood claims that this quote is out of context 
that it's really about the rising infant death rate among large families at the time, but let's assume they're right. Does that make this statement okay? That it's merciful to have a child and then kill it just because there is some percentage of chance that it might die anyway? Sanger is perhaps best known as the early staunch advocate of birth control, including abortion, and as the founder of the organization that would eventually grow into Planned Parenthood. Its original name was a bit more honest, the American Birth Control League. But the reasoning behind her zeal was deeper and darker than simply a disregard for individual human lives. Sanger believed that contraception, especially preventing birth among certain undesirables, was better for the human race as a whole. In 1922, she wrote, Those least fit to carry on the race are increasing most rapidly. People who cannot support their own offspring are encouraged by church and state to produce large families. Many of the children thus begotten are diseased or feeble-minded. Many become criminals. Funds that should be used to raise the standard of our civilization are diverted to the maintenance of those who should never have been born. Despite these radical views, Sanger is, to this day, a progressive icon and hero. In 2009, Hillary Clinton proudly accepted the Margaret Sanger Award from Planned Parenthood. It was a great privilege when I was told that I would receive this award. Uh, I admire Margaret Sanger enormously. Her courage, her tenacity, her vision. For a singular moment, Hillary Clinton told the truth. She admires, as she said in her own words, this racist, bigoted, self-appointed deity who saw fit to decide who should get the gift of life and who should have it taken away. Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program. I am a big fan of disruptive ideas, and this year, Casper Mattresses is on the top of my list. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I love sleeping on my Casper mattress. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at an unbelievably fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And better yet, it breathes so you don't wake up drenched in sweat. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your home. And if you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund everything. Imagine that, a company so confident that their product is what you want that they'll offer a 100% refund. Made in America, with free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. Get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash Glenn and use the promo code Glenn. Terms and conditions do apply. Go to casper.com slash Glenn, casper.com slash Glenn. Glenn, 